Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, this is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah. Hi, this is Julie Guy from Eastern Passage, Nova Scotia, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So that was Julie, and Julie is backer number one. She was the first person to back us in the last two years of our Kickstarter here on the Tennis Podcast. Every year when we try to fund the following year's 130-odd episodes of the show, and Julie is there with us. So thank you, Julie. Uh, Catherine Whitaker is here. Yeah, Catherine Whitaker is here. Catherine's just been presenting live TV for the past 12 hours, and uh, it was a little bit different, Catherine, I think, covering the ATP finals on day one with the same players in the first match as in the last match a year ago, but it was a bit different. Yes, it's as if the scriptwriters were trying to emphasise the contrast. Um, and I think Stefano Tsitsipas summed it up, didn't he? He was asked uh, after his three-set defeat to Dominic Team, uh, the first time a defending champion at the ATP finals in London, has lost their first match defending the title. He was asked after the match in press, quite a terse press conference by all accounts. I've only read the transcript. I didn't see it live, but um, I don't think he was in the best of moods. He was asked what was the what was the difference between today and the last match he played against Dominic, which was here last year, and he said people. Um, and that was... Kind of everything summed up by yeah. uh, by Stefanos Tsitsipas. It is very well summed up. Hello, Matt. How are you? Yeah, fine, thank you. Yes, uh, I think he really did hit the nail on the head there. Because when I was watching that match, I was finding it difficult to reconcile what I was seeing in front of me, which was really good tennis, and how I was feeling, which was a little bit flat, a little bit of melancholy. And I think it was just all there, as you said, because... It was such a direct, perfect contrast to the last match we saw at London. It just really did emphasise and highlight everything that we're missing this season, this year. Um, and I think especially for Sitsipas, he's the he's the kind of guy, I think, who will build up a connection with a place 
And I think even before this tournament, he described the ATP finals as a meeting spot where people gather to celebrate their success of the year. He was already talking in very glowing terms about it. And I think he's, he's defended his title before in Marseille and talked about having affection with certain tournaments. And I just think he was kind of shocked and surprised by how different it was, how different it felt without the fans. And yeah, it was a terse press conference and his body language was quite dejected in it. He was he was really quite down about the whole thing, really, even though I actually don't think he played that badly. I thought he played OK, but just his overall experience was was disappointing for him. Must bring it home, must feel a bit eerie for those two players having stepped off that court a year ago because as I seem to recall it was one of the great atmospheres that that place has ever known people were so into that match and it was very split wasn't it the crowd support between the two and there were a lot of local or partisan fans or Greek fans in the crowd chanting the name of of Tsitsipas on that day and you know he's won it in such dramatic style and then yeah you come out and they, I mean, they did it. They did their best with the show. What, what we know how it came across on TV. I'm sure many of our listeners would have watched on TV. Um, what did it look like and feel like to be in the stadium, Catherine? Well, I'm I'm very very aware that I am having an extremely biased experience, and my perspective on it is biased because f- for me, as much as I am I am missing the things that everybody watching at home is missing. I'm also getting something particularly special, which is getting to watch live tennis in the flesh. I I mean, I, I, I realise the privilege of what I'm about to say, but I haven't gone, uh, what is it, eight, nine months, nine, nine months without watching live professional tennis in in my career. I probably didn't even, you know, I was going as a fan a couple of times a year before I worked in the sport. You know, it's a long, long time since I've had a drought like that. Um, So just seeing live tennis is food for the soul for me. And I'm very, very conscious that other people aren't getting that. I do think trying trying to eliminate that very personal factor. I do think lack of crowds um, is exacerbated at indoor events. Um, I am reaching that conclusion more and more solidly. Um, and I just don't think there's really any way around that. I think it's sort of just incubating the and amplifying the the negative, negative impact of it. Um, yeah, I, I, it is what it is. I think they've done done what they can. Okay, they've not done things like the US Open did with the fan wall and everything. But I think on reflection, given how much that potentially cost, did did it add enough to make it worthwhile? I don't know. I I think they've done pretty much everything they can. I think it looks visually fantastic. I What's really it do. Like? I mean, as it usually does, beautifully illuminated. It looks like that sort of blue floating stage, doesn't it? The the visual impact of it all is incredible. And I love those spotlights. I'd said this said this a couple of nights ago. I love those spotlights they've put on the, the lower tier to create a sort of polka dot effect. And of course, they do have the ability to, to black out a lot of the seating so that you're not seeing big 
swathes of empty seats. I think the visual effect of it is is brilliant and they still it's funny the the playlist that the dj is playing it's mostly the same playlist as last year except they've removed all the upbeat bangers (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if there's been some kind of board meeting where they've gone through last year's set list and they've gone yep yep that's you know that's appropriately melancholy no dance monkey no gotta go gotta <laughs> they go also removed the heartbeat sound as well or no the heartbeat's there is that there because i couldn't really pick that up the heartbeat is there but yep. they have removed david bowie heroes they have as the as the victory song they now have two victory songs from what i can tell one of them is sia one of them is sia unstoppable which is one of my um get yourself fired up songs listen to that in the back of a cab a few times um and the other one is whatever it takes by imagine dragons Mm. i have been waiting for them to find a new song you know other than heroes (laughs) but you know they've been playing that for 10 11 years in a row but strangely today i did feel like again it was just adding to the sense that i was missing something and yeah, yeah. bring me my David Bowie comfort blanket. Mm, exactly. Matt Roberts disses David Bowie's <laughs> song l- Last year, Matt, there was um, some Bruce Springsteen on the set list. Uh, I heard Downbound Train at least three times a day. I've not heard it yet. And I think that is sufficiently downbeat to make the 2020 that's about Playlist. as downbeat as it gets yeah yeah that, so i'd be sure. surprised if that's gone the same way as dance monkey personally but we shall see so the first singles match of the day was uh stefano Sitsipas against dominic team and it was it was close it's stylistically just the most beautiful match to watch on paper isn't it and they've they've shared victories they've i think it's now 5-3 is it i think in team's mm-hmm. favor the the head to head between the two of them they came in at 4-3 i i was look, I, I was curious to look at when their last meeting was and i didn't realize it was that one a year ago um so which i find a shame really and obviously a six-month pandemic will 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 contribute towards that, but that is a rivalry that I really want to see just develop and continue because I love to watch them play against each other. Because although they both have a single-handed backhand, they both try to do things differently, and their weapons are a little different. Team is much. Team is a point ender with 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 a single stroke, and and. Sitsipas has got that cover on the ball with that little bit of extra topspin, hasn't he, that just dips at the last second, which I've always loved to watch that as well. So just the rally construction between the two I always find fascinating. But And I was sort of half watching the first set whilst making the kids their lunch and, and that sort of thing. And then suddenly I realised that Sitsipas is, I think, 4-1 up in the tiebreak uh, and really looks looks in charge. And from there you're thinking... He's going he's gonna to win this tiebreak. And clearly, from that press conference, so did he. Because he, he describes the point, I think it was at 5-3 in the tiebreak, where he's attacked and he's underneath a lob and he doesn't win the point. And that, I, I, I would imagine that as we come to you 
right now at 11 o'clock at uh, at night on, on Sunday in the UK, I think Stefanos Tsitsipas is either lying in bed right now looking up at the ceiling, thinking about that point, or he's just on his third whiskey. One of the two. Maybe both. But that's that's going <laughs> to stay with him because thing, cause that ball floated over his head, didn't it? And he, and he ran back, tried to play it over his shoulder, um, ended up lobbing it up and Sitsipas won the point and uh, team won the point rather and team took over. I suspect it's probably the former. I think some whiskey would probably help him. Although there was that very strange lockdown monologue video where with the corona, with the corona bottles in the foreground. Oh, God, yeah. That feels yes. like a long so, time ago. Sorry to remind you all of that, but that was peak Sitsipas weird, wasn't it? Um, so maybe alcohol isn't the best idea. Yeah, I feel like he's probably writing some sort of Sylvia Plath style poetry <laughs> about that point in the tie break. Yeah, he described it as one of the silliest things that's ever happened to me. Yeah, be more silly. I mean, this Stephanos. is a guy who had You're his young man. shoes laced by Leander Pays during a match. <laughs> <laughs> so he's lost his perspective on silly. <laughs> Uh, then, but then, but then he won the second set and, and made it really competitive. Um, and actually, one of the most, uh, you know, I'm not that into statistical analysis of of of, of matches, um, really going in depth. Personally, that, that's not something that I really go for. But there was a statistic shown on the prime coverage that that you were presenting, Catherine. I think in just at the start of the third set, showing the difference in the amount that Dominic Team was slicing his backhand in the second set versus the first set, and and in the first set he'd been hitting it much more firmly and and not slicing, and the second set he'd hit loads of slices and and it really just wasn't working for him, and then at the third set, Matt, early on, I noted a stat that you you put out about the sheer number of winners that teams suddenly started striking what what was happening because i didn't see the third set much of the third set yeah i think he just ramped up his aggression and his intensity in that third set and i think in the end he hit close to 20 winners in that deciding set and just took charge and took control of it um and i think that's really interesting to see team play that way it kind of backed up what he was saying at the start of this tournament, which is that he feels just as comfortable now on a hard court as he does on a clay court. And I think because of the results teams had, we can take that a little bit for granted. You know, he's come in as a US Open champion, Australian Open finalist now. It, it's kind of natural that he says that. But if you go back a few years, team saying that really would have seemed kind of extraordinary. It, there has been this incredible development and it's been quite gradual, but I think it's really been, you can trace it through his performances at the ATP finals in a way. You know, he his, his first few years here, he won one match in the group, but didn't make it out of the group, never really threatened, never really felt like a contender. But then last year, he found this comfort zone, I think, on a hard court that he's carried into this year. And that means he can dictate the play without having to sustain this really massive peak level. He's got a level now where he's comfortable at and it's an aggressive level. And, and he found that in the third set. And 
when he plays like that, he's he's really a match for anyone in the world. And he was he was too good for Sitsipas in that third set, coupled with some really excellent serving. I think there was one game where Sitsipas did threaten to break, and every time he did, team found us a first serve in the corner. Um, yeah, I was I was really impressed and also encouraged by the fact that his foot injury, which we were a little bit concerned about, just didn't seem to be a factor at all. It, it, he seemed completely fine and and recovered. He, he went quite deep, Catherine, team, after he won that match in the end. He went quite deep on the weariness of bubble life. Mm, bubble fatigue. Mm. Interesting, yeah. isn't it? I can relate yeah. to that. I can. I mean, mm. although you know, he said I've only got thirty matches in my legs for the year, so physically I'm okay. But it does, and we've we've heard this from other players, haven't we? Goffan and people like that. That it, it is, it's a different kind of test for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had the the tiniest taste of it this week, and although you know, I'm extremely risk averse when it comes to to covid and even more so have been in the past couple of weeks knowing that i've got this coming up um and obviously wanting to be able to to work this week and needing to return a negative test in order in order to do so but i'm also aware that there is a small margin for error in the in the testing system so no matter how um cautious you are there is a a certain amount that's out of your control and and I felt major anxiety waiting for my test results to come back and they're having that every four days and and having just as much if not more riding on every test result certainly more you know if it's a if it's a test sort of once you're already deep in into a tournament so and 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 then also you've got the consequences of everyone in your team and possibly people beyond that being affected in a massive chain reaction of self-isolation etc um yeah i sort of of have i mean i was aware of all of that before but getting a tiny taster of of that feeling i can understand i can understand it all and uh yeah i i am i'm i'm into the phrase bubble fatigue <laughs> i think he's i think he's onto something there I did just 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 finally on on Sitsipas. I did as when you were saying about the fact that this was these two's last meet uh, first meeting since since they played in the final here that last year, and the fact that it's so different this time around, being you know jarring for for both players, but obviously making it all the, particularly hit home for Sitsipas. I also think taking the pandemic related circumstances out of it i i think today will have been jarring kind of in in tennis terms to sit to pass as well you know take 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 him back a year in that match they neither of them were grand slam champions um they were both okay team had made finals he was you know a step down the road but i doubt sit to pass saw it that way sit to pass probably saw himself and sees himself in a similar kind of bracket. He won that match that day. And let's be honest, he would have been expecting more of his year than he has achieved this year. And I can imagine, you know, he's looking down the other side of the net and thinking, I beat you in that match on this court a year ago and you've gone on to win a Grand Slam and reach a final. I've not done any of those things and I've lost to you today. I can imagine it. It feels, especially as we know, he likes to 
disappear down a rabbit hole of despair. I can imagine how it may feel like he's gone backwards a bit. Now, yeah. that's not necessarily the case in reality because Dominic Team has gone forwards. But I can I can see this one being a bit tough to take for Sitsipas. I I potentially worry about his mental powers of recovery for the remaining matches. Yeah. I do feel like he can he we we've talked about it in the past after that French Open loss and and obviously the most recent one, the US Open losing to Chorich when he had it won and he and he completely blew it. Um he 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 does overdo it in his own mind as to the significance of a single loss. Uh, we've we've seen that, we've got the tangible evidence of it. Um I don't I don't think he's I don't think he's an inferior player, but I, but I don't think he's any better, really, than he was a year ago. Mm. Um, whereas Team clearly is, and there's a champion's mentality about Team now. He gets the job done in some of these matches. He can occasionally throw in a, a real stinker, the way that uh, Nadal would never do. But at the same time, these close matches, you 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 believe in Team, don't you? You you can you'd be surprised if he lets himself down in them. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. The most jarring moment of comparison atmosphere-wise to me was the joyous moment that your channel prime video catherine decided to play the federer nadal match of 2010 between the <laughs> sessions and it was wonderful and i loved every minute of it and i went around to my i went around to visit my mother who'd been watching your coverage all afternoon and the first thing she said to me was oh catherine's teeth are okay then <laughs> so uh, 
Um, oh. But to, while she while she was um, hello, Mrs. Law. Yeah, so I'd interrupted her because she was absolutely loving every minute of watching this replay. She'd enjoyed the matches in the afternoon, but she was loving this match between Federer and Nadal that uh, was going the distance from ten years ago, and and a raucous, packed crowd going wild, and and you realise then you just get that. That before and after feeling of of oh no, we don't have that anymore. Um, we'll have it again, I'm sure. But uh, but it it does hurt to watch that and then see shortly after that Rublev and uh, and Nadal and obviously the doubles players as well. But coming out onto the court and again, and you just get reminded, oh crikey, it is so different. I would buckle up, David, because we're going big on the archive this Great. week. Well, there is there is some nineties tennis coming your way. I do like to. Oh, you. Oh, yes. <laughs> now we're talking. Excellent. It may um, or may not feature Pete Sampras. Oh, right. Well, <laughs> I, I better just prepare myself. Move everything in my calendar for the week. Yeah, screw the live tennis. Yeah, <laughs> let's live in the nineties. <laughs> Most people are planning their days around, you know, the singles matches at two and eight. David's planning it around the replay in the middle. Yeah, somewhere around five p.m. is where I'm going to be enjoying my best time. Um, so yeah, that that happened between the the sessions. We then had Andre Rublev come out against Rafael Nadal and <coughs> it was the only duffer of the night of the whole day wasn't it in terms of competitive matches we'll come we'll, we'll mention the the doubles uh, in a few moments and both of those two matches were competitive there was a three setter here with team and Sitsipas but Rublev I thought see whether you think this is uh, this is unfair I thought it was a, a pretty immature performance and he was made to look really junior-like against Nadal. I mean, I know he's playing one of the ultimate challenges and he's playing his first ever match at the O2, first ever match in the finals, tour, tour finals. But I I think he will come off that court, Matt, feeling pretty disappointed with his own performance. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I would draw a little parallel with what Catherine was saying there about, you know, having that rematch against team a year later and that being a little bit dispiriting. You could almost say the same about Rublev having a rematch now with Nadal, who he played in that US Open quarterfinal three years ago. And the first thing to say is Rublev is a much better player now than he was then, for sure. He's he's improved, he's established himself, he's got the results to show that. But again, he's come up against Nadal on probably Nadal's weakest surface and he's not got close to him, just like he didn't get close to him three years ago and I think so many players have had that problem you know they've they've thought okay three years time Nadal Djokovic I'll be able to beat them they'll be gone by then perhaps but no it's kind of a testament to Nadal as well the way he's been able to sustain his level and maybe even improve in these last few years but I just think for Rublev he probably thought three years on he would be a lot closer to Nadal than he actually was today I can imagine that hurting and being tough to take um I must say, I I mainly viewed the match through a kind of Nadal lens and a Nadal prism, if you like. Just, you know, having been to his press conference on Zoom before the tournament, 
I always find it really difficult to gauge with Nadal how he is feeling because he'll never say I'm playing well or I'm feeling good. He'll say something like I'm I'm working in the right way or you know he gives <laughs> he, he gives you these slightly vague phrases which obviously to him is it means a lot and is his process. But it's just quite difficult to gauge where his confidence is at sometimes. And then I heard you, Catherine, saying that you'd seen him practicing and he was looking really ravenous and hungry and he came out. A little bit nervous, I thought, for a few games. But as soon as he got the break in that first set, he relaxed. And I was so impressed with Nadal's level. I thought he was playing well and also playing the right way. All the stuff he was trying in Paris, stepping in on the return, which just wasn't working. Today against Rublev, who's got quite a predictable serve, I think. He was just all over that second serve and so aggressive, hitting his forehand well. And all the markers, all the signs that you look for with Nadal's game were were all there. And I think that's a really confidence-boosting performance. But obviously with the caveat that Rublev didn't bring his best and didn't perform as, as we hoped he might. But uh, from a Nadal point of view, I think that was just really encouraging. First time he's won his opening match here for quite a few years, I think. It was an enormous golfing class, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> I know we've been kind of talking about the negatives for Sitsipas today, but I was I was sort of mentally comparing Rublev and Sitsipas, and this is probably going to sound a bit harsh on Rublev. I really like him, and I what he does well, I love to watch him do it well. I love that fast, live arm that he's got. I, that still really excites me, but... Okay, Sitsipas has weaknesses in his game, absolutely, and things that he can work on. But he is working on them all. He wants, he doesn't want there to be any any blank spots in his game. Sitsipas, he would be if you if his coach or anybody else told him you can't you can't do that, he wouldn't say. He wouldn't shrug and say, okay, well, that's just not going to be part of my game. He'd say, okay, well, let's see if I can work on that. You know, he he, he builds the serve and, serve and volley in when he can. And he's, he's you know, building variety in on the, the, the backhand. And he's trying to improve his footwork on the serve. Um, but R- Rublev doesn't quite seem to have that mentality. He is very much in the, this is how I play. When it's good, it's very good. But... I don't see much sign of him trying to develop plans B, C and D. It is still extremely early for him. Um, I just want to see sort of the hints that he's trying, trying B, C and D and sort of thinking about the need for B, C and D. When, and it worries me a little bit. He's capable. You know, I mean, it would probably take to, re- to talk to a a really top coach or somebody to, to work out whether there is m- – because I look at him as a, as a fantastic plan A player. Who, mm. when, where, who, if, you're, if you're unable to cope with his broad side of hitting, you're going to lose if, he, if he's remotely on. But we've seen Sitsipas, and we actually saw it in the match between the two of them at the French Open, that Sitsipas managed to change his game in order mm. to beat Rublev that day because he was on the back foot for a while. And I just – I question whether Rublev has the dexterity in his hands to be able to do different things other than what he does. I may, I may be wrong, but I, I really wonder mm. about that. Mm. And that was kind of exposed against Nadal, who does have that ability. He was as good as Nadal's plan A is. He's got 
B, C and D. And even when he's playing well, he deploys some variety and he was using his slice backhand today a reasonable amount. And yeah, it just, it, it, it does expose Rublev as a little bit limited, I think, when he when he comes up against these these top players. But yeah, it, it's very interesting. Does he have that capacity? I think this year has been such a big year for him in terms of building the blocks that he needs to be a top 10 player. And I think, next year will be will be more of an t- opportunity for us to find out whether he does have that within him um i think for now he's he's kind of doing everything he needs to but if he's still in this position next year i would i would be more concerned i suppose he, he plays every tournament with his foot to the floor like nadal does it's just that when nadal does it it's it's almost as though he's in a different vehicle once he gets to the grand slams and when he puts his foot to the floor at the slams more happens whereas i kind of feel as though rublev is just in his whatever car he's got and that's the only one he's got <laughs> and he just keeps mm. you know pounding what kind, it what kind of car would rublev drive what kind of car would he be i wonder um as well i i i think that there's there's an interesting one which car <laughs> is each player i think um, like a mazda yeah quite quite nippy powerful for its size but never gonna <laughs> win any grand prix oh god that's brutal <laughs> <laughs> we shall see let us know what you think at tennis podcast which cars are the eight players here at uh the hmb finals um, so Nadal won through his match in the, the doubles that preceded both of the singles. Both of them were corkers. There was Wesley Kulhoff and Nicholas Mektich uh, beating Kevin Kravitz and Andreas Mies, 6-7-7-6-10-7. And then Joe Salisbury, who has only been out of isolation for a couple of days because he was a close contact, I think, to his coach. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, Rob Morgan. Right, um, who had who, who uh, tested positive? Yeah, tested positive, and Rajiv Ram. Uh, they defeated Lucas Kubot and Marcelo Mello ten five in the third in that one. So um, yeah, so there were really good matches today, weren't there? The doubles. Yeah, some um, really good storylines in the doubles, all of which I know about courtesy of Matt's incredible notes. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just just tons of them. That Joe Salisbury isolation story is is pretty incredible you know two week the two weeks leading up to one of their the biggest weeks of their their careers and they they couldn't practice together um kevin kravitz the the german one half of the german partnership the two-time french open champions he was he was working in a little supermarket during lockdown in munich uh stacking shelves and disinfecting shopping trolleys um, Wesley Kulhoff making his debut at the ATP Finals, aged 31 today, and winning. Um, there's there's so many great stories. Do, do we um, know if Kravitz was was doing that job in the supermarket because he needed the money or because he just wanted to do a good thing? My understanding of it was that he wanted to help out um, and was kind of in a position to be able to help out. Well, that's fantastic, isn't it? Mm. What, a, what a lovely gesture. It's, mm. it's really something. I was reading about um, Michael Venus, who's playing in the doubles tomorrow, um, and he's from New Zealand. And he said, I, I don't think I can get back to New Zealand until 
mid-December, um, mm. if I'm lucky. You know, they just they just won't let him back in the country. Yeah, it's tough, there's, isn't it? there's serious stuff going on behind the behind the scenes with a lot of these guys, and I think particularly with the doubles, with the doubles players, because you know, no special allowances are being made for them. I don't think you know, even even in New Zealand, I don't I don't know how how big a name Michael Venus is. You know, I don't think I don't think ambassadors are on the phone trying to. Make create waivers to to regulations for for people like him. You know, I think it's 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 pretty serious stuff, even for the top doubles doubles players. You know, mm. and some of the reactions on court. You know, I'm sort of I, I keep an eye on the doubles and I watch bits here and there, and it gets interesting. But mostly, I'm sort of speaking to the speaking to the gallery and making notes and preparing and stuff. But my attention kept being drawn to the court behind me by the volume of some of the reactions from the players. You know, it was really demonstrative stuff out there, and of, of course, it's more um, more alarming because it's sort of echoing around this empty, cavernous stadium. But goodness me, it felt high stakes the doubles today and I think I think it it really is high stakes you know this this prize money purse is a huge deal for these for these doubles players you know prize money is getting cut across the board and a lot of the time even for top doubles players it's going to be breaking even I think in for the in the near future so yeah it's it's um it's yeah high stakes stuff and there's also the storyline that all of them can finish the year as the world number one doubles team because there's so few points separating the eight teams that I think technically I'm sure I'm sure there's lots of permutations and complicated maths, but I think technically everyone has gone into this event with a shot at finishing the year on top. So that's just another layer of intrigue to all of these mm. matches. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's really something, isn't it? Um, so yeah, we'll keep an eye on the the doubles all the week through as well, because we're daily with you here on the tennis podcast each night uh, from the O2 Arena. At least Catherine's in the O2 Arena. Matt and Matt and I are currently in our respective rooms. Um, I'm drinking beer. It's lovely. <laughs> um, I'm drinking beer. Before yeah. you sign off, would you like me to? I've just realised I still got my false lashes off on. Oh. I know. I know how you like to. Watch me. Both of you watch mesmerised as I peel them off. <laughs> I, I'm still trying to recover from the last time, but go on then. Oh, crikey. There it goes. That is gross, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> try, try wearing them all day. Look at the difference between my two eyes. Yeah. Crikey. It's like, it's like something out of Mission Impossible. <laughs> 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 I found out something about hair as well on our Instagram story as well. If you want to go and follow us on there, uh, because Catherine was um, blow hey. drying a piece of hair. Hey, do you want to hear one last story from day one? Yes, it's please. A story. Ask me how many wagamamas I had today. How many wagamamas did you have today? I had two, David. <laughs> <laughs> it's a two. Wagamama first day for and Catherine to go. I can't promise that will be a one-off. I'd be quite disappointed if it was now. <laughs> is, um, there, a of... is there subtext here about the overall catering quality? A, a pa- 
apparently the regular caterers have been struck down with with covid right. um so there is there are extenuating circumstances i i have to say i haven't tried the catering provided because i've been warned off it right uh, um, did you have the same thing in both your wagamamas or was it, i didn't did i didn't i branched out first time david i had a I had um, a chicken noodle soup, basically, uh, and some gyoza. And the uh, second time I had a pad thai with some bang bang cauliflower. Well, there we go. There's your Wagamama's update on day one. We'll, we'll bring you more of that tomorrow. Um, we've got a couple more tennis results to bring you as well. We had uh, a title victory in Sofia for Yannick Sinner, beating Vasek Pospisil in a final set tie break. That's a cracking win, Matt, for, for Yannick Sinner, who a year ago had just won the next-gen finals. That was that was the moment that I first thought, oh, right, I understand why people are getting a bit excited about this lad. And he's come on leaps and bounds, hasn't he? Yeah, he really has. Uh, it kind of made me wonder whether, you know, next year he might actually be at the ATP finals. He's, he's made these headlines a week before them, two years in a row, first ATP finals in Italy, I'm sure they're getting excited and hoping that that he will be there. It's not it's not out of the question. He he is improving well, at that kind of rate. Similar trajectory to Sitsipas, who'd yeah. done it the year before, hadn't he? I would he? say so. And yeah, just I, I watched the the tiebreak against Pospisil, and Sinner was the one who went out and grabbed it, and you know really started dictating the play. And I, I love watching his backhand, the way he rolls his wrist over it, and he can hit it either way. It's such an exciting shot, and he's got that nimble flexible movement as well kind of on the stretch yeah he he really does look the real deal and uh, i'm very excited to watch him next season mm. uh, then Irina sabalenka won the title in Linz, beat her doubles partner elise mertens in the final so sabalenka's kind of winning everything except doing well at the slams isn't she so we're just waiting for that breakthrough really She's she's having a great run at precisely the wrong time again. <laughs> yes. I mean, yes. that match just confirmed everything we know about both players, I think. Sabalenka, <laughs> yeah. at her best, can win a tournament, but she needs to do it in other places. And Mertens puts these incredibly good, consistent runs together. But when she comes up against a top 10 or top 15 player, that's... That's kind of where she struggles. Um, mm. There was a nice moment at the end. Obviously, you mentioned their doubles partners. They had the trophy ceremony and they were obviously kind of socially distanced from each other. But they did their synchronized jump that they do when they win a tr- doubles trophy together. They did it even though that um, they've just been opponents. They, they kind of uh, still did their signature move, if you like. So I thought that was quite nice. Oh, That's lovely. Very nice. Um, A bit of news as well in the Herald Sun in Australia reporting via an interview with Craig Tiley, the tournament director of the Australian Open, that the entire Australian tennis season in January and maybe even February will take place in Victoria, um, which is the home of the Australian Open, of course. And I do think that that, on balance, sounds a sensible way to get through this year. Um, How exactly they're going to organise that, if you consider that they're supposed to be having the ATP Cup and all the many tournaments that they have that are normally in places like Sydney and Adelaide, but um, yeah, the plan, as 
we kind of alluded to it the other day, didn't we? With uh, Melbourne one, Melbourne four, Melbourne eight, um, <laughs> is <laughs> it's going to happen, folks? So uh, get your numbering systems ready. Uh, Matt, have we got any shout outs? We do. Yes, shout outs to Andrew Tolbert. Hey, Andrew! Thank you very much for your support. Hello, Andrew. To Drew Moria. Drew. Drew. Top man, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> and to Ishmael Betancourt. What a name that is! That's a belter. Good you on say you, that Ishmael. Again, Matt. Ishmael Betancourt. Wow! That's a, I want that name. That's a better name than that's, David Law. Any that's, day. That's brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's really cool. Don't agree, Ishmael. Have uh, you have you considered sort of being taking up a profession that might get your name on posters somewhere? Yeah, I mean that should be you should be on the, in the theatre, shouldn't you, with a name like that? Mm. That's a maybe absolute... it's a stage name. Yeah, probably. Let perhaps us know, Ishmael. A, perhaps it was a name specifically to be read out on the tennis podcast. Yeah, a decoy name. Mm. Mm. And you will be able to get your name read out on the tennis podcast <laughs> oh, as part you see what of he did there. <laughs> a shout out uh, next year, if you haven't already this year, because, um, yeah, basically it'll be one of the categories that we have as part of our crowdfunding campaign, which begins on December the 1st when our Kickstarter begins and we try to make sure we can do 130 odd shows and more. Always more, Catherine, <laughs> is my, my motto. Um, yeah, so December the 1st, it'll start. And uh, thank you for listening to this first daily edition of the show from the O2 Arena. Catherine's going to go and have beer number three and Wagamama's number four. Um, and no, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. It's only, I'm only on two. Oh, so we're on to three next. Right, cool. Uh, and uh, Matt, good night. Thank you for your company. A pleasure as always. <laughs> thank you, David. <laughs> <laughs> who put me in charge I, I think you're supposed to say likewise oh, yes yeah. of course he's, he's like he's like Catherine do you know how long he's had to put up with me today because he's not had you to talk to as well because you've been on TV he's had to message me all day instead or have rather you... receive them hang on have you been doing messaging outside of the group one or two yeah a few yeah. I didn't want to distract hang you hang on can you sign off and we can talk about this off air <laughs> uh oh I'm in trouble Sunny day one. See you tomorrow. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.